This is the premier podcast for late model dirt track racing. This is Forward Bite, hosted by superfan and actual know-it-all Kyle Armstrong on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Forward Bite Podcast on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Armstrong. This week, we're going to talk to the Winfield Warrior, Mike Marler and get his thoughts on what he's got coming up. And he's going to break some news here on the podcast with us as well. But before we do that, I want to welcome a new sponsor to the podcast this week. We've got Andy's Toe, and Andy's Toe is going to be the official sponsor of the of the hotline. So whenever we go to the phone lines, it's going to be the Andy's Toe and Hotline. So if you're ever in Franklin, Tennessee, and you need a you need a tow or a record service, that's who you need to call, Andy's Towing. So this weekend, I didn't get to go to any dirt races, but I did go up to Caraway Speedway yesterday and check out some asphalt modified racing. And I mean, that race was fantastic. They had, it was a 99 lapper and they wound up, uh, they, they, uh, they w- it wound up kind of being a tire strategy race and a lot of, a lot of movers and shakers, a lot of lead changes, a lot of comers and goers. And, and you didn't know what was going to happen next. Bobby Labonte was actually up there racing the 2000 cup champion. Well, it came down to the end and Burt Myers was leading from staying out. He almost went a lap down. They had a caution at lap 30 and he kind of caught back up to the field. Well, it turns out he was just riding around saving his tires, him and Tim Brown both. So uh, Burt Myers wound up restarting about fifth or so on that restart, sixth maybe, and got the lead shortly thereafter. Uh, and meanwhile, Matt Hirschman had, had surrendered the lead, came in and got tires, went out and restarted about 16th. And it was just interesting to watch him methodically work his way through the field, never touched anybody. On the last lap of that race, uh, Hirschman was right on the back bumper of Burt Myers going into turn one. Burt slid up the hill a little bit. Hirschman got underneath him, and then going down the back stretch, they touched, they got together, they went off into turn three, and they both almost wrecked each other, went up the hill. And here comes Bobby Labonte to the inside, running third, and he almost wins the race. And he comes off turn four and takes out the takes out the inside wall down there to end the pit wall well matt hirschman wound up picking up the win and burt myers was second and i'm gonna tell you what that that was one of the most exciting races i've been to in a long time it was you know for it to be an asphalt race i know we're a dirt podcast but i had to talk a little bit about that because i think anybody any race fan any real race fan would have really enjoyed what they had to offer yesterday up at caraway so so yeah shout out to the smart modified tour this year they're going to be uh it's going to be interesting to follow that tour as they go through the season. I'm, I probably will plan on hitting a couple of more of those races throughout the season and checking that out. That's some very, very good racing. So, yeah, we're going to have Mike Marler on the podcast today. And, uh, you know, we we covered a lot of stuff on there, and it was really interesting to have him on. And uh, I, I think everybody's going to really going to enjoy this one. So, uh, so yeah, just stay tuned, and uh, we're going to go to the phone lines here, the the Andy's Towing Hotline, and talk to Mike Marler. Stay tuned. Joining us tonight on the Andy's Towing Hotline, Mike Marler out of Winfield, Tennessee, the Winfield Warrior. What's going on tonight, Mike? Oh, not a whole lot. Just uh, looking forward to getting to talk to you guys. Absolutely, man. Well, uh, if you can tell us a little bit about what you got going on today, that'd be uh, that'd be some breaking news, wouldn't it? Uh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, it will be. We... Um... I'm actually down at uh, Statesville, um, mounting some seats. I'm going to get to race a cup car and a truck at Bristol uh, for the NASCAR races. So working on that, and you know, I've run the truck before at Eldora, but the car will be something new to me. Yeah, so you, I guess you're looking forward to that. That's no, no, uh, I don't even have to ask. Oh, yeah, it's cool, man. We, we uh, you know, my buddies Tom and Rocky Smith from, from Knoxville, Tennessee, they, uh, give me a shot in the truck and, and Josh Rudin's truck. And then, uh, they actually bought the truck and, and it's been sitting around since the Eldora race. And, uh, when this deal come about, uh, they, uh, hooked up with Timmy Hill and, um, you know, we're going to actually drive technically Timmy's truck, but, uh, you know, they all work together in some, some deals, you know, the NASCAR world gets complicated yeah no doubt well that's a that's a pretty cool opportunity how that came together for you what are what are some of your sponsors going to be on that ride well we're going to have uh lift kits for less um they've just come on with carl and and uh i'm just learning about it so i'm not fully up to speed on on everything they're doing but uh but basically they're um 
you know, a company that makes lift kits and then an overall company that makes a, you know, a lot of car sells a lot of car parts. I gotcha. Uh, last week we had Corey LaJoy on the podcast and he, you know, I brought, I brought your name up in the conversation a little bit and he really, really wasn't picking on you in direct, you know, directly, but he was kind of, kind of wondering how some of these, some of these other guys get the shot to come run that Bristol dirt race. And I told him, I said, man, I believe that Mike Marler's very qualified and he's paid his dues to be there. So congratulations on getting that opportunity to, to run the cup race. So, uh, you're the newest NASCAR cup driver, I guess you could call it. Yep. Yep. That's pretty cool. And you know, um, those guys have a, you know, they have a big deal going on there. They got a lot of sponsors and, and, you know, a lot of obligations for a sponsor to see them, you know, going around that racetrack for, 250 laps or 500 laps or whatever whatever the race is and i you know i'm respectful to you know what they're thinking there uh but at the same time you know um racing's racing's racing you know it's for everybody and if you can earn your spot in there um um and i feel good about how my deals happen you know so it's it's not off of you know i didn't buy a ride or didn't have a rich uncle you know I just, i'm getting there based off experience and and results you know yeah i completely agree and and i think uh, i think them guys might be a little bit uh, worried about you coming in there and taking the first place prize money that afternoon <laughs> well you know we um, there, there's a lot there for me to come in and overcome to be competitive in that but um you know i'm looking forward to it and Hopefully, I get everything in, in the race okay and, and stay clean. And, you know, just finishing is going to be worth a lot, you know. So, I think um, we can be competitive. But, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a different world. And, you know, the truck race at Eldora was – I feel like you can wiggle your butt around and see a little bit and pick up some speed there. And at Bristol, I think, you, you know, it's going to be more dependent on your equipment. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting to hear. That sounds like racing a go-kart or something. Yeah, you know, it's just you can – Rayburn, C.J. Rayburn always used to say that to me. You know, yeah. you just got to f- figure out how to make it happen sometimes. And some tracks you can do that on, and Eldor is one of them. And, you know, I, I don't know how Bristol will be. I imagine Bristol will be pretty um, straightforward as far as, you know, having your car and having the car handle, handle right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll shift gears a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about, so you, you know, you won the 2018 world of outlaw champion, but long before that, you we'll go all the way back to the beginning and kind of, kind of build up to that a little bit, if you will. Uh, you got started out racing modifieds. Uh, what year was that? So I started racing modifieds at the end of 1998. Um, just, uh, just briefly there to end of the season. Then I, I really never raced modifieds for a long time. I raced like, end of 98 to 02 and then i moved into late models in 03 yeah you and jimmy owens kind of came up around about that same time kind of racing each other a lot didn't you we did yeah that's actually how i got you know i've told this story to quite a few people but that's how i got to racing modifieds i was racing my street stock and was parked uh at lake Cumberland speedway one night racing and jimmy pulls in beside me and i didn't know him and he had some problems with a trailer on the way there and didn't have any tools or air or any of the stuff he needed. And, uh, so we made friends there and he told me all the cool stuff he's doing with that modified and traveling here and traveling there. And so I said to him, I said, I got his phone number and said, I'm going to buy me one of these cars and I'll call you. So I bought a car and raced around local for a little while and then started tagging along with Jimmy and those guys going to races. And then he really helped me a lot to get me started. Yeah, I've heard uh, Jimmy talking about reading his roadmap upside down and getting lost and a lot of that back in those days. I bet you've got some stories like that, too. Oh, yeah, we got some fun stories. And, uh, you know, I, I was racing in the Roadhog Division at Lake Cumberland Speedway in 1998. And in 2002, I was racing Jimmy for a national championship for $100,000 points, <laughs> points finish. So, you know, we were a whole lot happened in a short amount of time for me and Jimmy really helped speed up that curve for me. And we had a lot of big stories. And, uh, one night we, we crashed each other along with another guy too, but we, we were 
at this farmer's uh, shop the next day trying to weld swing arm mounts and everything in the world back on these cars after we direct each other the night before. I remember his hood having my tire marks across the top of it, you know. So we had some wild nights and a lot of hard racing. Yeah, but you guys have remained, seem like you guys have remained friends to this day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have. And we, you know, we're always trying to be respectful to each other on the racetrack. And I mean, not really no more than anybody else, but we, we definitely, um, I think, look out for each other a little bit. And, and it's been a good relationship. And honestly, I owe a lot of my racing career to Jimmy because, you know, he had already went out and kind of beat the bushes a little bit and got some experience. And when I came along, he could pretty much tell me whatever track we went to, what I should do, what to expect. And how to set my car up and and then you know i had a he short my learning curve by years yeah that's interesting well then then when you went to a late model now was it a was it a cj rayburn car you first drove it was so yep. so so did you and cj have a pretty interesting relationship there i know we've talked we've talked a lot about cj on this podcast since we've been doing it and uh, everybody's always got a fun cj story or two if you've got one to share well, you know, how I guess that all started was, you know, Jimmy and I, we just drove around with dualies and small trailers, you know, and uh, I don't know, I can't remember the first time I actually seen CJ, but he told us anytime we wanted to come by, we could use his shop. So we would be out on the road up in Indiana or somewhere in that area. He would uh, let us come by and work on our cars in his shop, and he really enjoyed how we could get, get out and race each other as hard as we would, and still remain buddies and travel up and down the road together and all that so he actually told us both there in 2002 we were doing the ump points deal and jimmy ended up winning and i got second uh cj said to me uh, and jimmy you know at the end of the year i'm gonna let you guys race the dirt track world championship in my cars and that's how it all went from there and, and he's got lots and lots of stories uh i really love the guy and he's got some Got some pretty crazy stories about CJ, but uh, you know they're all, all, all. CJ's a really very honest person and a good-hearted guy. Has never no bad mean stories, but just a lot of stories that would maybe be picking on you, but teach you something at the same time. You know. Yeah, he's got a lot of wit and wisdom. I need to get him on this thing one of these days. Oh yeah, he was um, instrumental for us and. You know, I just probably never met anybody yet that's like him as far as they could be just as honest and and really more than fair with his money and, and his equipment that he used to have. And, uh, you know, one time I was – I'd started off, and Jimmy, Jimmy had kind of got a ride, and he was doing a little better than I was, and I was just struggling just to get my stuff to the racetrack. CJ had helped me with a car, but the rest of it I owned. And I'd blow up my motors and wrecked and done this and done that and told CJ that I was going to gonna have to, you know, do more work and less racing, you know, to be able to afford for that, you know, or afford that stuff. And he said, okay, and hung up the phone. And about two weeks later, my phone rung, and he says, bring your tires and wheels and trailer and fuel. I got you a car built. You need to get up here and get this thing and go racing. And some of my biggest wins like in my you know second year racing late models come like that in his car and we made a you know we won i think maybe like 60 grand there in about a month and uh you know i called him and told him that i gotta you know i get this money here we should sort it out and figure out what to do with it and what i what's mine what's yours and i'll pay you for the car whatever i want to do or whatever you want to do and he tells me keep that money in the bank account and call him, call him when I run out. Man, that's that's pretty good right there. That's an interesting story. Yeah, well, we had went and you know won some good races, and he he was so much about winning that it, the rest of it didn't matter to him. He just he knew I needed. He knew I was a young kid and trying to make it happen, and and uh, I just don't know where else you would find that or anybody that's. I've never met anybody that would do that for somebody so. I pretty much owe him everything that, you know, in, in my late model career. That is, that is a really neat story, Mike. What what were some of those early early tracks you kind of cut your teeth at there in East Tennessee? Well, Lake Crumbling Speedway um, is just 30 miles up the road from my shop. And 
me and my dad would go up there and race and he had a like a bomber car and then he graduated up to a late model and i had the 070 chevelle and uh, we would go there and race and then uh actually bobby pierce's granddad's uh billy t garden yeah. promoted that track and uh so anyway we would go there and race in like wartburg tennessee uh, and then um uh, we would go down to baxter tennessee which is closed now but it's cookville crossville tennessee a little bit and then atomic and some of those places but honestly i for the first four or five years of my racing career i just ran just two or three tracks you know yeah you got the ponderosa kentucky was probably one of the main ones i ran that too yeah you guys had a lot of tracks to choose from back in those days and there's uh unfortunately there's not as many as there were at that time and and one of those tracks i wanted to bring up with you is scenic raceway right there it seemed like that was a first class facility they had a have a tampa race there at least one time and and uh now it's sitting there weeds growing up in it yeah that was an interesting story um a local businessman in our hometown built that when they that track was right by my house uh you know when they turned the lights on we could see them from home so we've been really close there and uh, had a lot of fun races there, and uh, uh, one of the first times I ever drove a late model was there in, in the Have a Tampa race. I, I got a car and ran in it, and I remember running behind Donnie Moran thinking that was the biggest thing that's ever happened to me in my life, you know. It, it was cool, but uh, so it, it, it ran for about five years, and there was a landfill that adjoins that property, and actually the reason why it shut down is because there's some contracts to that landfill that would be worth – you know, I'd send them what I don't know how much money it'd be worth, but a lot, and they didn't need to have the track leased out. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. So it didn't really fail. It was, it was a bigger business plan that kind of kept it from going further. How long did that track exist? I had opened in two thousand, and the last race I remember there was two thousand five. I got you. So that was a short stint, but yeah, I've watched a video from that place. I ran across on YouTube one night and I was like, man, I was blown away. What a nice place that was. And it's, uh, and it's gone now. So, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, that sounds like kind of what's getting ready to happen down there to East Bay too. Yep. Similar situation, I think. And, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, those tracks are, I wouldn't say scenic was in a prime location or anything. It was just, it was just, uh, you know, it's got a you know a garbage dump beside it there and it's gonna basically swallow it up and some guys tried to lease it i know but um you know it was just they would get caught up in the middle of the lease and the, the garbage company want to expand it would be costly to the owner i got you michael we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back well mike before the break there we were talking about scenic raceway and i think we're kind of right there to 2004 2005 somewhere in that range uh whenever it shut down well somewhere in those couple of years you won one of your biggest races of your career i believe it was up in west virginia wasn't it that was actually in 04 and that was this that was actually one of the races we won with uh when cj built me that new car you know and uh we got on a real good hot streak there and and uh some cool stuff happened and in 03, we had won like a regional series and we'd won some $3,000 races and stuff like that. And, and then in um, 04, you know, we won a, a 25000 and a 20000 and then we won some some other ones. It was pretty good. So because uh, 04 was kind of our people are starting to learn our name, I guess, in 04, you know. Yeah, you've been around a long time racing. What was that? Uh, what were some of your early rides right then at that time driving? I remember you drove a number 34 car there for a while, if you'll refresh my memory. I, I know that was kind of a famous car. Uh, Vern Lefevers and other, others drove that. Yeah, that was um, that was a kind of a life-changing experience for, for myself and some other people. We I had some friends that built my modified engines, uh, Steve Estes and Chip Estes and uh, Chris Estes and they build engines and hot remotely we were in drag racing and it was converting into circle track stuff and they had hooked me up with the um, the 34 team Owen Stevens and Mary Lou Stevens in 2007 or at the end of 2006 I'm sorry and uh, we went to Crossville Tennessee they had a 10,000 win and uh, we ran second and uh, they were really happy and then uh, we went to the dirt track world championship and I can't remember the results. It wasn't great. 
and then uh, that was the end of the year. And um, Owen, the, the person that owned the the team, he was uh, just retiring, and he said, you know, this is the opportunity he had been looking for because he wanted to go racing with somebody that could be, you know, that was young and could just devote all their time to it. And and I was uh, looking for, you know, an opportunity to get out from under owning the stuff. And um, we raced together a couple times, and he actually had a heart attack and passed away. And um, pretty tragic deal, you know. And uh, so then his wife decided to go on forward and, and race in 2007. We had a really awesome season. And, um, she she wanted to run one more year just kind of to do what he, you know, wanted to do. And we went out and our hearts was all in the right spot and motivation was right and had a really good year. And, uh, and then at the end of that year, we had some more tragedy tragedy strike you know well what were some of your highlights from that year what were some of the races you won or whatever well we had we had won some summer nationals races that year and and uh we didn't really win anything that was like crown jewel type wins but it, we had a lot of just we just won a lot we won 15 20 races probably that year a lot of fives and sixes and and uh you just run good everywhere we went and done the summer nationals and myself and don o'neill and dennis Herb went right down to the the last week and actually had the points lead with four nights to go and and broke a couple times and in uh i think uh tennis won that year and um um but just had a really good year overall and and then uh what ended up happening there was um the estes boys were going to we were going to kind of re- reconfigure the deal and the estes boys were going to keep the car at their shop and they were headed to Charlotte and had a wreck and, uh, you know, Chris and, uh, and Brad, one of our, you know, a guy that helped on our crew passed away. So it just a lot of, a lot of bad stuff happened in the 34 team, but yeah. every time we raced, it was magic, you know, man, that is, that is a tragedy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was, it was a tough deal and, and it just changed all of us for a long time. I feel like, and, um, probably took you know it's one of the things that took a couple years to get over and you didn't really realize as a problem until my wife actually pointed it out that you know you guys are all a little weird after that and but you know just takes time and and a lot of bad stuff happened there and to to good people and uh but every time we raced that every time we put the car in an event we always had you know a lot of success with it and actually that's the car that um they asked me to go back to Florida like in 08 and we ran pretty good. I'm sorry, in 09. It sat around up there for like two years. Nobody ever run it. We went to Florida in 09 and ran good. And then we went back in 010 and they had never unloaded the car out of the trailer. And we went straight to East Bay and won the season opener from the car was in the trailer from the year before when it got to my shop in Tennessee. That is unheard of. That, 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 That's crazy. You didn't even knock the dirt off of it. Did you? They, they, well, so it was froze over, so we couldn't. So, uh, <laughs> so my, I was actually out of town. My brother said, uh, you ain't gonna believe this. This car ain't even been unloaded. Like it's sitting there on flat tires and top this trailer. And I said, well, there ain't nothing we can do with it. Just get out and do a little maintenance. So he got it ready and we went to East Bay and won the opener. And that was, so, that, and that was still the Rayburn. That was still the old Rayburn, three, four year old car set around the trailer. Just. <laughs> It's unbelievable what we could do with that thing. Rayburn seemed like they were the hot tip to have at East Bay at, at those at those at those years back then. Yeah, they were. Yeah, he he definitely uh, East Bay was one of the better tracks for them, and and uh, you know uh, they just ran they just worked good down there for whatever reason. The tire combination at the time, just everything everything worked in its favor. Yep, absolutely. And then you. Uh, so the 157 car was that kind of your number? Did that just did that just come, where did that come from? A three digit number like that? I think it's a cool number personally. It looks great on the car, and it's it's you. And whenever you changed to 57 a couple of years ago, I said, man, that's that's just that something's not right about that. <laughs> well, 57 was actually my first car number. It was uh, it was the year my dad was born. Yeah, my my uh, dad was born in '57 too, and he listens to this, so he'll hear that and get a kid. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so my dad's a '57 model. So we we uh, I started off as '57, and then uh, when I 
raced around local. It worked out great. And when I started taking my modified out and really branching out at the time, man, modified racing was huge. They would be, I remember going to Bulls Gap for the Bristol qualifying race uh, 20 years ago, and it was uh, 225 cars or something there. And we went to, went, so we went out to Texas and other places, and there would just be, you know, a gazillion cars, and they would be uh, a lineup with a, 15 heat races and you know they just have a chalkboard line up there so you know it'd be real easy to get confused so uh, i decided i'm gonna make my number three digit and it, it'll all be the only one you know so that's that's how that happened i think it's stuck i think it's worked out well for you since then yeah yeah for some reason and i, I actually thought a couple years ago i thought i'm gonna run my my old number and it's my dad's number he raced i'm gonna do that and uh the fans did not like it, so I, I didn't know anybody really cared. But uh, but we changed her back, and and uh, I'm glad they liked the three digit. People pay attention to that kind of stuff. It's it's wild, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and we're just normal people that we got a racing habit. We don't look or we don't really think too much about it. But but it means a lot to some people. Yeah, you told me we talked on the phone the other day, and you told me that uh, that you that you're really surprised with how many people really keep up with this sport and especially watching all these races that are on TV now. Yeah, it's it's with Facebook and Twitter and everything that's social media in the last whatever 10 years it's really got big and um you know heck like in my town I didn't know anybody really knew I raced much but you know it turns out everybody keeps up and it's it's a lot of people's into it that I never knew, you know. So it's a uh, a lot bigger, a lot bigger than I even realized. And, you know, I think for years I just had my nose to the grindstone and didn't really look up to notice, but it's, it's turned into a big deal. Yeah, it for sure has. Yeah. I've seen you uh, win a lot of races in the 157 car and I hope you decide to keep that number from here on out. The, uh, yep. We'll so, stay with it. There you go. You heard it here first, everybody. So uh, I guess we'll kind of skip a little bit of forward here a little bit. But, yeah, the 2018, you won the World of Outlaws Championship. At the beginning of that season, did you really think that was the ultimate goal, that you could that you could pull that off? Because it sort of seemed like it was an upset whenever you uh, got that done. And it was, uh, it was a neat deal for sure. I was there at Charlotte when you won it. And going into that weekend, it was down to three guys, and, and you came out on top. And it was, it was pretty spectacular the way that all went down. Yeah, I think to – I guess better describe the the bigger picture of that was, you know, I started driving for Ronnie Delk in 2013. And, um, you know, we, we didn't really have a plan. He, he actually come to my, my dad's salvage yard and I was working the counter wanting a transmission one day and got to talking about, he had a race car and, you know, they were just racing local. One thing led to another and, I ended up driving his car, you know, sometime later, but, uh, but anyway, we'd started racing and just, you know, checking off the things that we wanted to accomplish. And, uh, we both got to a point there in 2017, we felt like, man, we're running good. And, um, this stuff takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. And, um, we've kind of felt like if we, if we shifted away from the race and stuff and put our effort in anything else, it will be, you know, business wise will be real profitable. And, uh, so we'd had a plan to going into 2018 and we said, we're going, we're going to run a national touring series and we're going to try to win it. And that's going to be the it for us. You know, then we're going to, you know, we were going to kind of stay together. We weren't breaking up, but we were kind of breaking up the race team. And, uh, so I think there was a lot of motivation to win that deal. I know there was. I mean, I, you don't want to go out a loser, right? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I was in my mind we was going to win it from day one, but probably not a lot of a lot of other people's, I guess. Yeah, it just sort of seemed like from the outside looking in, it was an upset. But uh, you sh- you were there every night. You ran consistent all year, and, and I mean, you know, congratulations. Still, I mean, that was a, that had to be one of your biggest accomplishments, wouldn't you say? It, it, it is our biggest accomplishment. You know, we, we've never been points racers. Uh, the last time I really points raced, I raced with Jimmy in that UMP modified deal. And, and um, you know, Jimmy ended up winning by a couple of points. And, um, you know, you, you you always regret not winning. And even though you're happy that he did, you still regret not winning, you know. And uh, so, so 
in 2003, the first year of late models, I ran a little little point series, but not nothing serious. And then going into the 2018 deal, when we had a kind of a plan on what we had to do, and 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 I veered off the plan one point in the year there, and it bit me in the butt, and I uh, got a flat tire, kind of overdriving and being too aggressive, and probably the best thing that happened to me because after that, I just kind of felt like there was races I could have won that I just settled for consistency in and worked out good, you know. But it was it was a big uh, accomplishment for us, and and at the end of that deal, I mean, we were going out. It was the best day ever. We're we won this, and we're going to quit at that point, and we. We did for a little bit there, and we just got to missing it. Yeah, you. Uh, yes, it sort of seemed like you're going to go into retirement after that, and man, that was kind of going out on top. But then you you came back and ran a little bit with Kevin Rumley, and and you came right out of the box and won out at Volusia uh, to start that next year off, and and then that deal didn't kind of materialize. It didn't last too long. Uh, I wonder what happened in that deal. I've never really asked, and I, I keep up with Rumley a whole lot. Well, I think Kevin and I, you know, Kevin texted me and asked me if I'd be interested in driving it some, and and I, you know, I had, uh, had really made a decision to not do anything. You know, there was actually another opportunity for me to race, and I just, I don't know, I just didn't feel right at the time to, to do it. And uh, so Kevin called me, and, you know, uh, sometime in December, I think, and uh, asked me if I, well, I think actually November. But anyway, he called me and asked me if I wanted to drive that car a little bit. And I said, well, I'll talk to Ronnie, see what he thinks. And we talked about it, and I said, well, this will be perfect. So we can go – we can not put the time into the race in and still be with somebody competitive. And uh, and Kevin didn't really have it well thought out. He just he just said, I just want to go to a few races. So we, we had planned to go to just some major events and some of that stuff. And really, uh, you know, at the time – as as all that's shaping up to go racing uh he actually was taking a job with bill stein and doing some consulting and two or three things and i didn't really have a long-term plan either and nothing nothing ever ever really went down in the deal as much as this we realized right off the bat that our two trajectories was way different you know and uh and it just wasn't going to work he he needed he needed um you know, like a hauler and stuff like that. And, and Ronnie kind of said, you know, if we're going to, man, if we're going to start, you know, buying this expensive equipment, I'd rather just keep it at our shop and run it ourselves, you know, and that's kind of how it went. So, but it, it was a good experience and we won and, and, uh, Kevin's taught me a lot in a little bit of time and hopefully he learned something out of it. And, we both probably both learned to have a better long-term plan when we go into something because we just got all excited and like two little girls, you know, and jumped right into it and, and didn't have a long-term plan. So, but the good thing is we know we can win together. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, we'll take another quick break and we'll come right back and talk a little more. Welcome back to the forward bike podcast. We're talking to Mike Marler today on the Andy's toe in hotline. Well, Mike, you uh, had a little short stint there with Kevin Rumley, and you're talking about, you know, that didn't really last long, but you kind of had planned to kind of retire anyway after your World of Outlaw Championship, and then by by the time the summer heated up and you were seeing all this action going on, you you felt like you had to get back in it in something. Yeah, yeah, we went to, um, you know, we had, we just didn't really have a good plan. We I think Ronnie and I were we were really wanting to start a, a business and we know, we both know that, you know, if you could win in this race and stuff and figure out how to beat the top guys in this, you can about be successful at anything. And we were, we just had some ideas about some stuff we wanted to do. And at the end of the day, I think our heart was in racing more than it was being in business together, you know? So we, we dust the, got her out and dust the, the dust off our old, uh, old rocket and got back after it. And, and when we started back, we got on a hot streak and won, I think, I don't know, three or four of them Lucas races out of the first five or six we ran. And just uh, by that time, it was game on, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you did. You came right back out. And I remember you won the Grassy Smith Memorial and two or three others right there. And uh, and, and it was on then. And you've been busier than ever, ever since racing super late models. Well, you know, we all go through this life trying to 
figure it out and figure out what we want to do and what we don't. And sometimes when you don't, sometimes it takes not having what you used to have to figure it out, you know? And, uh, we kind of experienced that and realized how much we like it. And, uh, you know, from there, it's just, it's just, we're good. Well, they say you don't miss something until it's gone. And, and heck Mike, you're still, you're still young and you've still got, I think you could still be around the sport another 15 to 20 years at, at the very, at the least and still be competitive. Well, I think it's possible. You know, I'm, uh, 43 now and i went and took a vision test to this nascar stuff and i got 2010 vision and pretty healthy and i exercise and try to eat halfway healthy so uh i had to lose a bunch of weight so i could stay relevant <laughs> and uh so just i don't know I've, i'm trying to do the right things and uh, we don't know that'll work but we're definitely putting a lot of effort into it and and it's not just myself it's ronnie is you know with equipment and Josh and Jerry, my guys to keep up the car. Uh, we're, we're all, we're all neighbors and it's, um, pretty unique race team that we have. Oh, there's no doubt that you're in the game right now more than ever. Uh, just last weekend, well, the week before last, you finished second up there at Smoky mountain speedway in the world of outlaw race. And you could taste, you could taste victory. Almost. You were right there with Chris Madden, almost passed him a couple of times. And, uh, like I say, it just, uh, if things would have worked out just a little bit different there in lap traffic, I think uh, I think you'd have been the most recent World of Outlaw winner right now. Well, um, we did have a good car, and Chris did too. And at that level, when you when you get everything right on your car and get it handling good and driving good, um, you know, there's usually a handful of other guys that that night that accomplish the same thing. And um, we're so competitive sometimes it boils down to where you start and the redraw and this and that. So. Uh, Chris, you know, he he's a really good driver, man, and he don't – there was a time or two there that if he'd went uh, a lane higher one more lap, he was probably going to get passed, and he was smart enough to not do that. So he's a hard guy to beat, and that's what – you know, I think that's the, probably the thing that makes me want to keep doing this stuff is, you know, if it was – honestly, well, like when you're in modifieds, you get to a point where, you know, you used one so much and it just really wasn't a challenge, and now – this stuff here is a serious challenge and I think that's the thing that keeps you keeps you going and and then when I wasn't racing I watched them other guys win some races and then you get to wonder more wonder if I could beat them wonder if I wonder if I could pull it together here and and it's uh, it's just the challenge of it I think's the biggest thing well I think that maybe maybe played into a lot of your recent success you know pulling back the reins and sitting there and studying the sport and keeping up with it and and then whenever you got back in it you were you were rejuvenated and ready to go again. Yeah, that, um, that does make a difference in, in getting to study other people. And I went down to 411 and stood in the infield and watched the race one night and, and kind of, I don't know, it's uh, way easier to it's way easier to see the problems when you're not doing it. Yeah, yeah. And it's way easier to say you can do it. And, you know, all these grandstand racers, they think they can do it, don't they? <laughs> well, you know, uh, I was in the grandstands once and I didn't ever think I could do it, but I was sure hoping and praying I could. And when I got a chance, I was relieved that I could be competitive, but it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that it's, it's such a, I'm not saying it's, I'm not being hard on anybody that's got an opinion on it, but it's just such a crazy different view out the windshield than what it is. It, it does yeah. look obvious when you're not in the car. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you can't see it. You're, you guys are going almost 100 miles an hour at most of these tracks and, you know, door to door and dust flying in your face and you, you got no mirrors. You got no way of telling who's all around you. And, uh, you know, whenever you see a dirty slider on TV, you can probably, you know, that people like to talk about it. But, hell, that's good for the sport, really. There's there's a lot of instinct goes yeah. into it. And, and, uh, and these guys, you know, race all the time. And, um, it's it, right now I've never seen it so competitive and, um, you know, also I've never seen it with more upside in it as far as, you know, potential sponsorship or TV, TV races and just everything that's going on, winner's purses, all that. Um, it's a great time to be in it. Yeah, I completely agree. That was really going to be my next question, but yeah, well, but so yeah, what, what do you think about the current state of dirt late model racing, uh, for the longevity? I mean, i I told you the other day on the phone that I felt like when, uh, Bristol with dirt, you know, and had those have a Tampa races in 2000 and 2001, that was really, 
I thought that was the height of the sport right there, man. This is big time. And now we're here again right now. And I think, uh, I think a lot of eyes are on this sport. You know, I think there's a lot of guys that's, you know, that's, there's different disciplines of racing and there's, you know, we consider some to be higher than others, but really like I'm going to run a NASCAR race and that seems to be the highest echelon of racing and, Technically it is, but, but it's only because of the dollars. I don't think it's because of the competition. And so. hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. So I, I don't feel like the best guy in NASCARs, uh, you know, I don't feel like Kevin Harvick's better than Jimmy Owens by no means, you know? Um, but I think that, or, or Jonathan or anybody, but, uh, you know, it's just different training and different skill set and different, different things. But I definitely think that what I see is some of those guys, Chase Elliott's wanting to race some dirt right now. And, uh, I'm wanting to go race a NASCAR race and, you know, all this different stuff. We all, we all want to be more accomplished over the, over the broad spectrum. And I think right now you're seeing a lot of that going on and that's really making things interesting too. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. But uh, yeah, you're, uh, dang, I don't even know. You said so much there that I don't even know where to go with that, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting where the sport's going. And, uh, you know, like you said, the sponsors coming on board and big, big corporate sponsors and a lot of eyes on this. And, and I'll say this too, uh, dirt late model racing, well, super late model racing in general races consistently for, for the biggest purses, every weekend and short track racing period. I mean, there's, there's going to be a 10,000 to win show going on every single weekend somewhere and these, and, uh, and I'm not putting anybody else down, but these other, these other, uh, short track series, they're really embarrassed to even tell you what it pays to win a lot of times. And, you know, these, these dirt late model races are really paying the big bucks. I almost think you guys are spoiled a little bit getting to race for that kind of money every weekend. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, I think sometimes what happens is we don't even really, I don't know. It's like we, maybe, maybe we underestimate how good we got it sometimes on, on that side. And I know a lot of racers probably want to hang me up by saying that, but like we race some pretty good money. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all do. And, 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 and consistently and, you know, night after night. And some people are like, I've noticed like Brandon Overton right now, he has really raked in a lot of money just because, in the last since the COVID deal and everything that's happened here, there's been a ton of races right around his place, you know, right around his area, you know, that pays really good. And, you know, the weather has been good down there. And there's, there's a lot of, a lot of good purses going on. And, uh, you know, Lucas, uh, now third deal, I think it was the $5 million season or something, I, I think. So, yeah. um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of upside in it right now. And a lot of, a lot of reasons to go, uh, to go do that. And, one of the things I noticed, I went to a sprint car race this weekend and we're trying to race a little bit light right now until we get through the NASCAR race. And then we're going to, you know, get after the Lucas deal hard. But, uh, I went and a buddy of mine races just kind of a local sprint car. And, uh, I went to go hang out with him the other night and he actually let me drive, <laughs> but we really? went there. Sure did. Yeah. It was crazy. Uh, but we went there and, those sprint car guys, I didn't think they would know who I was, but they knew who I was and they're keeping up with their late model racing pretty hard. It looks like. Yeah. I think, uh, I think a lot of, I think a lot of short track race, I think it's a lot of, I think a lot of people watch a lot of different stuff now with these streaming things. I mean, you pay for it, so you might as well watch, you know, sprint cars or USAC or non-wing or, or whatever. I think everybody's keeping up with all of it and it's all coming full circle right now. And I've always tried to keep up with as much of it as I can anyway myself. But right now I think, I think the sprint car snobs are a little less than they used to be. I think they kind of respect us late model guys. Well, I think we are respectable. I think, oh, yeah. I think when, I think when they see us race and we're the, the, the amount of, things that could go wrong that don't go wrong and potential wrecks that don't really happen and uh slicing and dicing and like up at the dome i wasn't part of that race but those guys showed the sprint car guys how to race almost it looked to me like you know <laughs> they, they had they had a and i'm not knocking sprint car guys i mean daggum these guys are crazy good and they taught me that the other day but but they're you know they're 
it's just amazing to me what could be done on that little bitty track with them late models when they really they put on as good a race or better than the midgets did. Yeah, so you talked about the respect there, and and I, I man, you hit the nail on the head there. You guys that uh, race these dirt late models weekly, you know, super late model race, and you you guys all race each other with with a ton of respect. You'll come out of the end of the night there and race three wide for the lead all night, sliding each other and and not a scratch on the car. And that says a lot about the kind of racing I think to me. Yeah, I think it's. Um... You know, it takes a lot of experience to be able to do that and, and take some, you know, you got to want to win the right way, you know, not just run over a guy. And we all run over people. I've, I've ran over people on one races, you know, last year I did one night. So, so I mean, it happens, but, uh, but it's not really the goal or what people are setting out to do, you know. Was that the race at Florence? That yeah, I just, to? Hit, yeah, I just hip checked Brandon right in the left front <laughs> flopper, you know, as I went by him and. You know, I think we got our hairs crossed a little bit, but I'm either way. I mean, it's that, that was kind a, of my responsibility not to hit him, and I hit him, you know. That was a racing deal in the last lap going for the win. I'm sure he shook your hand after. I was there that night. That was a heck of a race. That was one of the ones I remember the most out of all the ones I went to last year. Well, yeah, he was definitely, you know, humble about it and a great sportsman about it, but he couldn't have loved it, you know. I mean, <laughs> I hit him pretty good, so, and I, and I hate that it happened, and, uh, you can tell I brought it up, so it bothers me, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it still sticks with you today. But yeah, that was a heck of a good race that night. I still remember it. It was uh it's fun going up there to Florence. That's a good racetrack. Oh, it is, yeah. So uh-huh. so you uh, you you mentioned a second ago, I gotta ask about this. The you so you tested a sprint car, so where was that at and what kind of whose whose was it and what uh what motor was in that car? So at East Bay this year, uh Dean Cartner's parked beside me and a buddy is Marty Meredith. Uh, is a sprint car racer from around uh, Memphis area. And uh, he told me that he wanted me to get in and drive it some night, and I'd been telling him I'd love to do it. So he uh, texted me last week and told me they were going to North Alabama um, to, uh, I think it was a US, USCS USCS race. Yeah. Yep. Dean Wilson won it. And, uh, you know, uh, that's who I was talking about. Dean come over and talking to me, and I'd, we'd never met, but he, who's familiar that a late mall guy was doing it, you know, so it stuck out a little bit, I guess. But, but I was just there hanging out with the guys and just learning about sprint car racing and taking the weekend off. Me and my wife were. And, uh, so, um, Marty's boy, Spencer drives the car and he'd had a bad night. He had a problem in hot laps and in the heat race, he, he nearly end over, endowed it and busted his tires down. So he were, they come to me and said, you know, we're just going to go out here and start and park the race. So if you want to, you can get out there and drive it a little bit and see what you think about it. And, wow. And I said, man, I can't go out here and start this sprint car race. I've never made a lap in one of these things. So, uh, so they sure enough, I wouldn't miss an opportunity. They was crazy enough to let me do it. So, so I got out there and it was a surreal thing because, you know, I've never been in one and we're going around on a parade lap with them, you know, them cars there and, uh, they, you know, I had to get in and learn how to start it and how to engage the rear end to jump it off and turn the fuel on and off and run the magneto and all that stuff that you got to do in them, learn how to work the wing, all that stuff. And uh, so they jumped me off and I'm cruising around there and we get in a four wide and then the guy on the race receiver says, all right, guys, we're coming around to take the green and I'm about to <laughs> So we take off and uh, I'm just trying to really stay out of the way and I got up to speed a little bit and, and and end up i uh, got lapped but i started 22nd run 12. man that's crazy did, did, did anybody really even know you were driving the car or was it just sort of unannounced no it was unannounced i just i literally jumped in there at the last second you know because we thrashed to help him get his car fixed before the feature and and uh so yeah it was unannounced he just said here help in there and try it out and, and i was like are you sure and he he wanted me to do it and man. uh so yeah, so I got in it, and I wasn't remotely up to speed at first, and then by the end of the race, I got to where I could, I could go a little better with it. Well, that's amazing, Mike. Well, we're just about out of time. I got just a couple more things for you here. Uh, so, what's next on your super late model schedule? I think you said mentioned you're going to run the Lucas Oil races this weekend. Yep, we got Lucas Oil, Chillicothe, and Brownstown, and right now it's kind of a weather deal watching that. And then if something was to cancel there, I really need to make some laps at Bristol before this cup race, you know, and the 50,000 win deal. So No doubt. So yeah. uh, if it rings out up there, we'll go to the Bristol deal. 
Yeah, and then also uh, just came to mind while you were saying that. Uh, so you ran that sprint car. Is there any plans of racing any more open wheel stuff? Maybe even trying to enter the Chili Bowl or something like that in the future. Um, you know, my goal, my my focus will be Lucas. Uh, you know, everything after next week, pretty much. And uh, but I'd, I'd like to do it a little bit. And I just I think that um, you know, Kyle Larson has come in and he's just got a different skill set than what we have. And, uh, more than I'd like to drive a sprint car a little bit, but really what I really want to do is drive on some big, big tracks in a cup car or truck or something like that. That's, that's what I really want to do. Um, that's what I'd like to put my, put my spare time into for sure. So Mike, you're going to get your chance to make your NASCAR cup series debut next weekend at Bristol motor speedway when they put the dirt on it. So, uh, so yeah, you're going to get your chance. And then after that, maybe that'll lead to some more opportunities in the cup car. Well, yeah, it's just, so like I say, Tom and Rocky Smith and, uh, Josh Rune let me drive that truck at Eldora. And then, uh, Carl Long at MBM let me drive a Xfinity car at Richmond and got, I spun out or got spun out. I ain't sure where it chose. It all happened too fast for me. But, um, but anyway, I got the opportunity to, uh, drive the 56 truck under Timmy Hill and then um, I'll drive the 66 um, cup car for Carl Long and you know, MBM. So, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to getting the experience and, and uh, you know, hopefully we do him a good job and it's, you know, it's cool that he chose me to do it. And, and uh, I'm really, I guess it ain't even said into me how big a deal that is. Cause I think it's, probably a bigger deal than i'm even realizing yeah it could be well mike uh i tell you what man this has been a good conversation and i've enjoyed every minute of it and you know we'll have to have to probably do this again sometime and uh you know so yeah and and also you you know you've you've earned every opportunity that you've got and you've uh you've definitely you've definitely earned it so uh so yeah uh, congratulations on the opportunity and good luck next week in that ride at bristol for sure and all your uh, dirt late model races this year as well all right guys y'all keep up the good work i've been listening to your podcast and it's uh pretty cool and really interesting to for me to learn about some of the other racers and a little bit about them so so i think you're on on to a good thing and i appreciate you having me on and uh it's an honor you get to do it absolutely man i appreciate you listening and uh Hopefully you'll keep listening and tell your friends to listen to this one, and uh, we'll, we'll try to keep this train rolling. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, sir. Well, that was Mike Marler on the Forward Bike Podcast for this week. I'm your host, Kyle Armstrong. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.